Section four of British Seabirds by Charles Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two Plovers and Sandpipers Part two Curlew. This species, Nemenius arquata, is not only the largest limicoline bird that frequents the coast, but also one of the best known. There are few parts of the shore during autumn and winter where an odd curly cannot be found, whilst in some localities it may be classed as absolutely common. The curlew is another of those species that present little difference between summer and winter plumage, and yet the haunts it selects in summer differ very considerably from those it seeks in winter. It is a resident in the British Islands, but its numbers are very considerably increased in autumn by migrants from more northern latitudes. It may be found, as previously inferred, on almost all parts of the shore, but such beaches where wide expanses of sand, mud and broken rocks occur are specially preferred, as are also salt marshes and wet meadows close to the sea. Of all wildfowl the curlew is one of the wariest, never allowing a close approach unless stalked with greatest care, or surprised in some unusual way, which does not often happen. In some districts where little beach is exposed during high water, the curlews will retire some distance inland, but return with remarkable punctuality as soon as the tide begins to ebb. Shingle banks and islands are also often visited between tides. Curlews when feeding are very restless birds, running and walking about the beach, seemingly in a very careless and unsuspecting manner, but sentinels are ever on the watch to sound the warning note, which sends the big, long-billed, speckled birds hurrying away to safer haunts. The curlew feeds both by day and by night, and its wild, somewhat mournful note, shrill and far-sounding, curly, curly, may repeatedly be heard during darkness. The flight of this bird is both rapid and well-sustained. Gatgay, on evidence which seems absolutely conclusive, estimates its speed on certain occasions to be not less than a mile a minute, and possibly very much more. Although the curlew repeatedly wades, it is not known to swim under normal circumstances, but has occasionally been seen to perch on a tree. All through the autumn and winter the curlew continues gregarious. It migrates in vast flocks, and frequently associates with other wildfowl, although it may be that these other and smaller species seek its company to profit by its extraordinary vigilance. Sandworms, crustaceans, and mollusks form its principal food whilst living on the coast, but in summer, at its breeding grounds, worms, grubs, insects, ground fruits, and berries are eaten. The European form of the curlew is pretty generally distributed over the western half of the Palearctic region, and winter is found throughout Africa. The curly begins to leave the coast for more or less inland haunts in March, scattering over most of our swampy moorlands and roughly higher grounds to breed. The eggs are laid during April and May. The nest is invariably made upon the ground, and consists merely of a shallow cavity, lined with a few bits of withered herbage or dead leaves. Numbers of pairs often nest within a comparatively small area of suitable ground, and should one pair be disturbed, the entire community is soon thrown into a state of alarm. The four eggs of the curly vary from olive green to buff, blotched and spotted with olive brown and pale grey. The curly begins to wander coastwards as soon as the young are reared. By far the majority seen first are young birds, and these arrive from the middle of July onwards. Wimbrel. This species, which is the Numenius phleopus of Systemesis, is best known on British coast during its annual migrations, passing our islands so regularly that it has received the name of Maybird. 
on the lincolnshire coast as well as in many other districts the whimbrel is almost universally known as the jack curlew during its seasonal movements it visits most part of the british coastline but mudflats salt marshes estuaries and extensive reaches of sand are the most favoured localities its habits are very similar to those of the curlew a bird which it somewhat closely resembles in general appearance although it is much smaller it is also a less wary bird especially upon its arrival much stalking however soon teaches its shyness perhaps the wimbrel is not so often seen on the actual beach as the curlew it seems to prefer to resort to slob-lands and swampy meadows adjoining the beach it not only wades but is said even to swim occasionally and is fond of bathing throwing the water over itself as it stands breast high in the sea in autumn and winter the wimbrel is certainly gregarious but its gatherings are never so large on our coasts as those of the curlew this however is entirely due to local causes for gatke reports that on the bright warm days of april and may they pass over heligoland in successive flocks at a vast height and flying at a tremendous speed on migration the note of the wimbrel may be described as a shrill he 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 its food during its yawn in small numbers on the british coasts consists principally of crustaceans sandworms and mollusks the wimbrel is a later breeder than the curlew during the nesting season it is one of the most local of our birds and is only known to nest on north ronne one of the hebrides the orkneys and the shetlands its favourite breeding grounds are the wild moors at no great distance from the sea although not gregarious during summer many pairs often nest on the same portion of the moors the nest is made upon the ground sometimes amongst heather or beneath the shelter of a tuft of grass and consists of a few bits of withered herbage arranged carelessly in some slight hollow the four eggs are very like those of the curlew but are much smaller the bird's actions at the nest are very similar to those of the preceding species outside the british limits the breeding range of the typical wimbrel reaches from iceland and the faroes across arctic europe whilst its winter home is in africa godwits these birds rank amongst the rarest and most local of the british species of limicoline so that little more than a passing allusion to them is necessary in a work of the present character one of them the black-tailed godwit limosa melanora formerly known as the yarwhelp or barker used to breed regularly in some of the eastern counties of england but for nearly fifty years now it has not been known to do so the reclamation of its fenland haunts and the practice of netting it during the breeding season have probably been the chief causes of its extirpation a few birds still continue to appear on our coasts especially on the vast mud-flats and salt marshes of east anglia during their annual migrations and a few remain to winter outside our limits it nests in iceland and the faroes and in scandinavia but its chief breeding area extends across europe from holland to the south of russia in winter it draws southwards visiting the mediterranean basin and parts of africa the black-tailed godwit appears on the british coasts on passage during april and may the return journey beginning in august and lasting for about a month in its habits it is very like the curlew picking up its food on the muds and marshes walking deliberately to and fro wading through the shallows and sometimes standing in the water breast high to sleep whilst on actual migration it is a restless bird continually shifting its ground but later in the year it becomes more settled and will visit certain spots to feed with great regularity its food whilst on our coasts 
consists of insects, especially beetles, worms, crustaceans, and mollusks. Its call note is a loud and shrill tee-it. This godwit breeds in May, making a light nest on the ground, concealed amongst herbage, in which it lays four piriform eggs, olive-brown, spotted with darker brown and grey. The second and smaller species, the bar-tailed godwit, Limora rufa, is certainly the best known, and by far the most abundant. So far as my observations extend, this godwit occurs in greatest numbers on the mud-flats and salt-marshes of the Wash, where it is known in some places as a scamel. There it is often taken in the flight nets, and it is a well-known bird to the gunners of the coast. This godwit passes along the British seaboard toward the end of April, and early in May, returning from the end of August up to the first week in November. According to Professor Newton, the 12th of May is known as Godwit Day on the south coast of England, because about that date large flocks of this bird arrive thereon, on their passage north. Whilst with us its habits are much the same as those of the preceding species. It is gregarious throughout the winter, and often associates with other shore-haunting birds. Both these godwits are readily distinguished from other Limicoline species on the British coast by their long and recurved bills. They also present much diversity between summer and winter plumage. The most marked difference is seen in the colour of the underparts, which the present species changes from white in winter to rich chestnut in summer, whilst in the black-tailed godwit the chestnut characteristic of the breeding season is confined to the neck and breast. It is only in summer plumage that the tail of the bar-tailed godwit is barred. In winter it is uniform ash-brown. Upon its first arrival on our shores, the bar-tailed godwit is often remarkably tame, admitting a close approach. It is very fond of frequenting the creeks and dikes that intersect the salt marshes and muds, and during high water often goes inland a little way to wait for the ebb. The food of this godwit consists of worms, crustaceans, mollusks, and similar marine creatures. The note resembles the syllable kira, 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 often very persistently repeated as the birds fly up and down the coast. In its quest for food it frequently wades, but never swims nor dives unless wounded. But little is known respecting the nidification of the bar-tailed godwit, and its eggs, very rare in collections, have hitherto only been obtained in Lapland. These so closely resemble those of the preceding species, that no known point of distinction can be given. Redshank During the greater part of the year, this species, the Tonatus calidris of modern naturalists, resides upon the coasts, retiring to more or less inland districts to breed. There are few prettier and more graceful birds along the shore than the red shank, distinguished by its long orange-red legs and white lower back, rump and secondaries, the latter marbled with brown at the base. In the breeding season, the greyish-brown upper plumage and the white breast characteristic of winter are mottled with rich dark brown. In autumn, our resident redshanks are largely increased in numbers by migratory individuals from more northerly latitudes. Many of these pass on to winter quarters further south, but many others remain with us for the winter. Sociable at all times, and frequently consorting with other limicoline species on the coast, at winter especially, the redshank becomes very gregarious. Its favourite haunts are mudflats and salt marshes, and it is here that the largest flocks congregate but many odd birds frequent coasts of a more rocky character. Redshanks are sprightly, restless birds, almost constantly in motion when on the feed, and scattering far and wide, running to and fro with dainty action, wading through the little pools, and even occasionally swimming the shallows between one mudbank and another. 
they are ever alert and take wing as soon as danger threatens the scattered flock soon forming into a compact mass again between the tides red shanks often collect on some mud bank where in a serried throng they keep up a confused babble of subdued cries as if all were talking and none listening its flight is rapid and most unsteady looking the black and white wings producing an idea of irregularity which is more imaginary than real upon the coast the red shank feeds on sandworms crustaceans mollusks and such like marine creatures but during summer at its breeding grounds worms insects ground fruits and berries are among the substances sought the cool note of this wader is a loud shrill tiu tiu most persistently repeated when the bird is excited or alarmed whilst during the pairing season the love song or trill is happily described by professor newton who has had exceptional opportunities for observing this species as a constantly repeated liru 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 accompanied by many gesticulations as he hovers in attendance on the flight of his mate or with a slight change to a different key engages with a rival or again half angrily and half piteously complains of a human intruder on his chosen ground the red shank breeds somewhat locally in the marshy districts of our islands perhaps most commonly in the low-lying eastern counties of england and in scotland it is one of the earliest waders to quit the coast in spring and to retire to its nesting places which are fen and marshlands, swampy moors, and the boggy shores of lochs and tarns. Numbers of nests may be found within a small area of suitable ground, and certain spots appear to be visited annually for breeding purposes, in some cases even after the district, by reclamation, has lost its original marshy character. The nest is slight, but usually well concealed, often beneath the shade of a tuft of grass or other herbage, or in a hassock of sedge, or under a little bush or tall weed it consists of a mere hollow scantily lined with a few bits of withered grass or leaves the four eggs are very piriform in shape and vary from pale buff to dark buff handsomely and boldly blotched and spotted with rich dark brown paler brown and grey when disturbed the old birds become very noisy and excited careening wildly to and fro and should the young be hatched they become even more demonstrative and by various antics seek to decoy an intruder away a return to the coast is made as soon as the young are sufficiently matured many eggs of this bird are gathered and sold as plover's eggs sanderling during the period of its spring and autumn migrations especially the latter this pretty little bird the tringa arenaria of ornithologists who ignore the genus calidris named first by curvier in eighteen hundred and formally founded eleven years later by illiger established as it is on such trivial character all things considered as the absence of a minute and functionless hind toe is one of the commonest and most widely distributed of limicoline birds comparatively few individuals remain on our coast to winter and these collect more especially on the southern beaches in winter plumage the dress in which it is most familiar to british observers the sanderling is a delicate silver grey above and pure white below but in the breeding season although the underparts remain unchanged in colour the upper parts become mottled with chestnut and black comparatively few sanderlings reach the british coasts before august and the southward migration continues during september by the middle of the latter month the bulk of the individuals has passed beyond our limits by the end of october but few remain although some of these prolong their stay over the winter the return migration begins in april and lasts over may into june there can be little doubt that the sanderlings migrate by night 
few birds are more trustful and engaging than this pretty little arctic stranger it not only frequents the long reaches of sand but mud-flats estuaries and the creeks and streams and salt marshes its favourite haunts however are the sands during its sojourn on our coasts it consorts in flocks of varying size and very frequently a small party attach themselves to a larger gathering of dunlins or ringed plovers indeed for the society of the latter birds the sanderling shows a strongly marked preference we may safely say that during the migration period most large branches of ringed plovers contain a varying number of sanderlings its actions on the sand are very similar to those of the ringed plover but it does not appear ever to run in such fits and starts searching the ground more systematically after the manner of the stint or a dunlin during high water the sanderling very often resorts to the higher shingle and skulks amongst the pebbles sometimes remaining unseen until nearly trodden upon so closely does its white and grey dress resemble the stones among which it nestles upon the dark muds and the wet shining brown sands it is much more conspicuous and there are few prettier sights along the shore than a scattered flock of sanderlings standing head towards the observer looking like so many white balls of animated snow it searches for its food by running to and fro about the beach often on the very margin of the spent waves sometimes wading through the shallows or quickly dodging the foam-flecked in-driving surf its food consists of sandworms crustaceans various insects and great quantities of small mollusks in summer however it is almost exclusively insectivorous but also feeds on the buds of the arctic saxifrages the note of this bird during its sojourn on our coast is a shrill wit but this is not very frequently or persistently uttered during winter the sandling is a great wanderer visiting parts of africa southern asia australia and south america but in the breeding season its range seems confined to the arctic region but very little is known of the nesting habits of the sandling and few of its eggs are in collections it is said to arrive at its arctic haunts in may or early june as soon as the water is free from ice and the ground bare of snow its nesting haunts are the barren grounds and tundras near and the beaches of the arctic ocean the nest is a mere hollow scantily lined with dry grass and leaves and the four eggs are buffish olive in ground colour mottled and spotted with pale olive brown and grey not this species the tringa canatus of linnaeus and most modern ornithologists is another of the arctic migrants that pass the british coasts regularly on their journeys and linger here in much smaller numbers over the winter camden in 1607 appears to have been the first author to connect the name of the knot with king canute but much difference of opinion exists as to the reason thereof some authorities assert that it was in connection with the story of that king upon the seashore others and perhaps with greater reason because of the royal dane's great liking for its flesh the bird continued to be so closely associated with the king by successive writers that linnaeus followed them in applying the specific name of canutus to the knot which is still retained by the majority of naturalists some migrations of the knot are very marked and regular the bird begins to arrive on the british coasts early in august and from then to the end of october a nearly constant stream pours upon them reaching its greatest volume in september by far the greater number pass on to still more southern haunts but a sufficiently large portion remain to winter as to render the species one of the most familiar of limicoline forms to habitues of the coast the return migration begins on our coast in april and continues throughout may the principal haunts of the knot in the british islands are situated on the eastern and south-eastern coasts 
mud flats and salt marshes wide expansive sands and big estuaries are the spots where knots most do congregate for these furnish it with a constant supply of food ten years ago i remember great numbers of knots used to be caught in the flight nets on the wash during october and november but the numbers of late years have considerably decreased the knot is not only very gregarious but social and often mixes with companies of other waders when feeding knots keep close together generally all heading in the same direction and moving about quickly if the flock is a very large one some of the individuals are almost constantly in the air flying over the heads of their companions and alighting again as if eager to get the first look over the ground they are very wary when congregated in such large assemblies easily flushed and often performing various evolutions both over the sands or the water before alighting again the knot more often runs with a series of short quick steps than walks and it flies both rapidly and well after feeding the entire flock will often stand for a long time on a certain piece of the shore sleeping and preening plumage but even on these occasions they are somewhat restless and it is rare to see all still at once they feed both by night and by day the call note is seldom or never uttered although when on migration the birds appear to be noisy enough crying incessantly to each other as they fly along in the gloom but little is known of the nesting economy of the knot its great breeding grounds the nesting places of the vast flocks that pass southwards in autumn still remain undiscovered where they are situated it is useless to speculate naturalists are ignorant of its eggs which still remain unknown in collections although the young in down have been obtained the knot breeds in the high arctic regions in the north polar basin mostly if not entirely above latitude eighty degrees and here it has been met with during summer by various travellers the knot is another bird remarkable for the great seasonal changes which its plumage undergoes in winter the plumage is ash grey above white below in summer the feathers of the upper parts become black margined with reddish brown and mixed with white those of the lower parts rich bay or chestnut it has been remarked that the birds that winter on our coast do not assume such rich tints in summer as individuals that pass along our coasts from more southern latitudes this is probably because the birds wintering with us are younger individuals only the oldest penetrating to the remoter winter home the knot has a wide distribution during winter including the southern states and mexico africa and it is said australia and new zealand it is possible that in the latter countries the eastern knot the tringa prasirostris of science is confused with the present species curlew sandpiper this pretty little species known to many as the pygmy curlew and to modern naturalists by the scientific name of tringa subarquata is one of the rarest of the british limicoline it very closely resembles the knot in the colour of its plumage and in the seasonal changes that plumage undergoes but it is not much more than three-quarters the size and has a curved curly-like bill this little sandpiper like most of its order is a migrant breeding in some yet undiscovered part of the arctic regions retiring southwards to winter in africa various parts of southern asia and in australia it is during these journeys between the arctic regions and the tropics that it occurs on the british coasts a few individuals even remaining upon them all the winter through as might naturally be expected it is most frequently observed on the vast stretches of low coast on the eastern side of england it is also a tolerably frequent visitor to the south coast even as far westwards as devon and cornwall a few curly sandpipers arrive on our coasts in april but the greater number pass along them in may stragglers lingering until june the return flight is noticed in august and consists mostly of young birds 
the older ones reaching us during september and october the habits of this sandpiper very closely resemble those of the dunlin in whose company the bird is very frequently found and from which it may readily be distinguished even at a distance by its pure white upper tail coverts it prefers coasts of a muddy rather than sandy character haunting saltings estuaries and muds here its actions are much the same as those of all little sand birds it feeds both by day and night and often retires during high water to some wet land near the sea to wait the ebb the food of this species consists of crustaceans worms mollusks and insects its note is ascribed as being louder than that of the dunlin absolutely nothing is known of the nidification of the curly sandpiper and its egg has never yet been described it is to say the least remarkable that some of the great breeding places of these arctic birds have not yet been discovered a fact that seems to suggest a vast area of land somewhere in the vicinity of the pole dunlin owing to the great seasonal changes of plumage which this sandpiper the tringa alpina of most naturalists undergoes considerable confusion has prevailed concerning it linnaeus described birds of this species in summer plumage as distinct from individuals in winter plumage naming them alpina and kinclus but temenic and before him b mayer with greater discernment united both under the name t variabilis birds in the two plumages have also received distinctive colloquial names in summer dress the bird is known as dunlin in winter dress as the pure other local names of wide application to this species are oxbird stint and plover's page the latter being derived from the habit of the dunlin to accompany a golden plover flying to and fro over the moors where the two species chance to be nesting perhaps the wryneck has in like manner gained the name of cuckoo's mate from its habit of flying in attendance with that bird although some writers attribute the term to the fact of the two species appearing in our country about the same time the dunlin is absolutely the commonest limicoline bird of the shore and certainly the most widely dispersed it possesses the habit in common with so many other species of this order of retiring to moors to breed but as soon as nesting duties are done it returns to the coast and for the remainder of the year continues to reside upon it the dunlins that breed in our islands represent but a very small portion of the vast number that winter on the british coasts the majority of these are from more northern haunts winter migrants that haste away again with the return of spring during its residence on the coast the dunlin is remarkably gregarious assembling often in flocks of thousands which by preference seek such portions of the shore as are low-lying and muddy salt marshes slob lands estuaries and creeks and vast expanses of mud as the wash for instance are the favourite haunts of the dunlin these large flocks of dunlin are much more difficult to approach than smaller gatherings or individual birds dunlins are active little birds almost incessantly in motion running daintily about the muds by the margin of the waves or wading through the shallow tide pools during the course of feeding a large flock will become widely scattered and it is remarkable how quickly the broken ranks reform there are few sights so pretty along the salt marshes and mud flats than a large flock of dunlins in the act of performing those graceful aerial movements so characteristic of this little bird during its winter sojourn upon the coast the whole flock as with a single impulse will spread out like a net close up again apparently vanish appear black or like a flash of silver just as the birds turn and expose their dark or white plumage to the light sometimes the flock will head straight away down the coast passing the observer with a rush and whir of wings and a chorus of purring cries 
at other times a large flock will rise en masse from the muds pass out to sea a little way turn and go some distance along the shore come back again repeating the movement time after time ever and anon appearing as though about to alight dipping and rising with marvellous regularity no doubt these movements will recall to the observer the gyrations of the autumn flocks of starlings for there is much in common between the two during its sojourn upon the coast the dunlin feeds upon crustaceans sandworms mollusks and other small marine organisms but in summer insects grubs worms and ground fruits are eaten the usual note of the dunlin is harsh and resembles the word purr hence one of the bird's trivial names during the breeding season it is a long-drawn piece in the pairing season when the male indulged in certain aerial gambols he utters a trill which has been likened by some observers to the continuous ringing of a small bell it is a rather remarkable fact that the dunlin is the only species of tringer that nests in the british islands it breeds sparingly and locally in cornwall devon and somerset perhaps in wales and thence northwards more generally over the remainder of england and in scotland up to the shetlands dunlins begin to move from the coasts in march and april and to resort to their breeding-places which are situated in the marshy moorlands and mounty swamps often at no great distance from the sea or at least from tidal waters the nest is a mere depression often in a tussock of grass or rushes or beneath a small bush or even in a patch of thrift on bare sandy soil lined with a few scraps of withered vegetation or enclosed with a few twigs or roots the four piriform eggs are pale olive or pale brown blotched and spotted with reddish and blackish brown and grey we remark the same extraordinary difference between summer and winter plumage as we have already observed in the knot and some others in summer or breeding plumage the dunlin is a rich reddish brown above striped with dark brown lower breast or gorget deep black remainder of upper parts white in winter the upper parts are chiefly ash grey and the under parts white except the gorget which is now greyish brown outside the british islands the dunlin has a very wide distribution breeding not only in the arctic regions of both hemispheres but in many temperate latitudes of the same in winter it is dispersed over north africa southern asia the southern states of america and the west indies at Heligoland, flocks of dunlins invariably indicate bad weather purple sandpiper this species the tringa maritima of brunnich and most modern naturalists but erroneously identified with the t striata of linnaeus by certain recent writers on ornithology is a fairly common and widely distributed bird on the british coast during autumn and winter the fact that a few odd birds are sometimes met with on our shores during the summer has led to the supposition totally unsubstantiated as yet that the purple sandpiper may breed here during some years this species is much more abundant than others a fact perhaps due to exceptionally favourable breeding seasons the purple sandpiper readily distinguished from all other british dimicoline by its nearly black rump and upper tail coverts the purple gloss of its upper plumage and its yellow legs makes its appearance with us early in september and continues to arrive in increasing numbers during that month in october and leaves us by the following may this sandpiper is most partial to a rocky coast where the huge boulders shelve down into the water and large masses of rock and shingle are exposed at low tide it may however be frequently observed in the company of knots dunlins and ringed plovers on the mud flats and sandy reaches it usually seeks for its food close to the water running over the rocks as a great wave breaks and retires even darting into the seething drifts of surf or coursing along the very edge of the rollers 
where each one threatens to annihilate it as it breaks upon the shore occasionally it may be seen to swim just outside the surf and when flushed it sometimes even alights upon the sea its food consists of crustaceans sandworms mollusks and insects and during summer of seeds as well although most of this food is obtained whilst the tide is driving in the bird may be seen in quest of it at the ebb it frequently retires inland a little way or rests upon a rocky islet or point between the ebb and the flow of the tide its flight is rapid and straightforward and often accompanied by its shrill and quickly uttered tee-wit the purple sandpiper though social is never seen on our coasts in very large flocks and perhaps most frequently in pairs or alone in norway however collette states that it assembles in countless flocks during the winter it is certainly one of the least shy of the limicoline and often permits of a close approach especially when alone the best-known breeding-place of the purple sandpiper and one of its most southerly summer stations is on the faroes other breeding-places are in iceland in norway spitsbergen and nova zembla and on various parts of the north siberian coasts and in arctic america to greenland it arrives at its nesting grounds in may or june these are rarely situated far from the sea although in the faroes it retires to the fells where it begins to nest even before the snow has all melted the nest is but a shallow depression scantily lined with scraps of withered vegetation and is made either close to the beach on broken ground covered with a sparse vegetation or in some marshy spot on a hill in the vicinity of the ocean the purple sandpiper may pair for life as there is some evidence to show that it returns annually to certain spots to breed the four eggs are pale olive or buffish brown beautifully blotched and spotted mottled and streaked with blackish and reddish brown and grey the sitting bird lingers long upon her nest sometimes remaining till almost trodden upon before she starts up and by feigning lameness seeks to draw the intruder away so closely is the purple sandpiper attached to the coast that even during the nesting season when its duties call it more or less inland it always visits the shore to feed in summer plumage the upper parts are marked with a rich chestnut and in winter dress the underparts are more spotted there are certain other limicoline birds found upon our coasts more or less frequently which at least deserve some passing notice but as they are species that are merely fleeting visitors during their annual migrations and never occur in sufficient number to form a dominant feature in the bird life of the shore they do not call for any lengthened description or minute study in a work which seeks only to sketch the more enduring avine characteristics of the british seaboard we will deal with the commonest species first during the period of its migrations the common sandpiper or summer snipe totanus hypoleucus is a pretty frequent visitor to the coast especially in the south-western parts of england and there is strong reason to believe that a limited number may pass the winter thereon its habits on the shore are very similar to those of other limicoline species it breeds commonly by the side of our inland waters and is certainly as its name implies the most abundant and the most widely dispersed of the british waders another fairly regular and frequent visitor to the british littoral in spring and autumn is the green shank totanus glottis it is most often met with on the low-lying eastern coasts but it is said a few birds winter in ireland the green shank breeds very locally in scotland and is best known to us at its more or less inland nesting stations it may be distinguished by its white lower back and central upper tail coverts and nearly uniform grey secondaries of even rarer and more local appearance is the wood sandpiper totanus glariola sometimes met with in small parties on our eastern and southern coasts whilst the green sandpiper totanus ocropus is a less frequent visitor still 
this species is remarkable for its peculiar mode of nesting for instead of laying eggs upon the ground as is the almost universal custom of birds of this order it places them in the deserted nests of other birds and trees we must also not forget to give a passing reference to the singular-looking rough machetes pugnax drainage of the fens has long banished the rough from its ancestral haunts where it was once so common that a regular trade was carried on in the netting and fattening it for the table the rough takes its name from the singular yet remarkably beautiful frill of elongated feathers that during the love season adorns the neck of the male bird the extraordinary variation in the colour of this fleeting sexual ornament can only be described as marvellous it being almost impossible to find two birds exactly alike the sexual development of the feather ornament seems closely associated with the polygamous habits of the ruff the cock-bird takes no share in family duties and during the pairing season wages endless battles with his rivals for the possession of the hens odd birds frequent our coasts during the migration periods and less frequently during the winter two species of stint the most diminutive of the sandpipers also deserve a brief allusion the first and most frequent visitor is the little stint tringa minuta most numerous on its autumn passage south it is chiefly seen on the eastern coastline but is a visitor to the solway district the little stint breeds in the arctic regions of europe and west siberia and is a late migrant in spring seldom seen in any numbers on our coast before may it frequents whilst with us mud-flats salt marshes and long reaches of sand and often joins the dunlins in quest of food its stay with us is brief especially in spring and even in autumn most have gone away before october it may be distinguished by its small size wing under four inches in length tapering bill and black legs and feet the second species temenic stint tringa temenici is a larger bird than the foregoing and readily distinguished from all other tringa by its white outer tail feathers it is much rarer in its appearance too and as usual most frequent on the low-lying eastern coastline even this district is beyond the more general limits of its migrations it is also not so maritime in its haunts and seems to migrate along more inland routes end of section four